Welcome to The Morning Magazine on KGNU Community Radio. It's Friday, August 11th of 2023. I'm your host, Jackie Sedley. Coming up on today's program, we'll hear the latest on Utah's blocked abortion ban that's been on hold for over a year. Then we'll dive into the Colorado River with a painter as our guide. And we'll wrap up with .org, our Friday spotlight on local nonprofits. After all of that, it's Connections. This week, you'll hear a conversation about Who She Is, a new film that brings four missing and murdered Indigenous women back to life. Kathy Partridge interviews Jordan Dresser, co-producer and director of the film, as well as Emily Zinn of the Museum of Boulder and Danny Cohen of Chautauqua Auditorium Events. Then, at 9.30, it's the Morning Sound Alternative with Meredith Carson. That's all still coming up, but first, headlines with KGNU's Benita Lee. Yesterday, we reported on the story of Ryan Partridge, who, after a six-year court battle, won a $2.5 million settlement from Boulder County. The settlement sought compensation for excessive force and for deliberate indifference to Ryan's mental health when he was in the county jail for a misdemeanor. In 2016, Ryan was placed in solitary confinement for weeks at a time. During confinement, Ryan, who has schizophrenia, experienced psychotic episodes that went untreated because the Boulder County Jail does not force inmates to take their medications. After other incidents of self-harm while in solitary confinement, including a suicide attempt, Ryan blinded himself. Ryan Partridge and his parents Shelley and Richard spoke to KGNU's Maeve Conran in 2020. Richard said that over the course of Ryan's about 180 days in jail, his mental health worsened. He became more, uh, more ill, uh, more uh, irrational behavior, uh, more of a problem at the jail. Um, he spent a lot of time in solitary confinement. He um, was denied all activities with other prisoners, groups that they have, different activities that they do. He was isolated. Um, even at one time period, and uh, I don't know the month, they took his mattress away, his blanket. They shut off his water. Ryan was given treatment for his schizophrenia following his jail release. In 2020, his father Richard said that Ryan was doing well. Well, he's been, he's been a joy at home. Ryan said at the time he hoped his case would highlight the need for reform of a system that uses jails to warehouse those who are mentally ill. Our, our hearts go out to everybody fighting a battle like this or another, and it happened to anybody. I'm sure we all know people out there that are at risk for, for this. There needs to be systemic change. A bill signed into law in 2021 is part of that change. House Bill 1211 prohibits confining an inmate involuntarily in their cell for 22 or more hours per day without meaningful human interaction, significant movement, or time outside the space. An unhoused man has filed a federal lawsuit against Lafayette, stating that city ordinances prevent him and his son from camping while there is not enough indoor shelter for the homeless. According to the Colorado Sun, James H. Holmes Sr. said he and his 17-year-old son have been homeless for several years. 
Holmes alleges that Lafayette police have harassed him for camping and that local rules violate his rights to privacy, to freedom from self-incrimination, and from cruel and unusual punishment. The Boulder Noblest Sister City Project, or BNSCP, is hosting a fundraiser to purchase an ambulance for Noblest Palestine. KGNU's Ivana Levis has the details. BNSCP hopes to raise enough funds to purchase an ambulance for Asker Camp in Nablus, Palestine. The only medical clinic near the Asker Camp closes at 2 p.m. Esria Sharon, board member of the Boulder Nablus Sister City Project, says residents needing medical attention after that time must travel to a hospital in a city under military occupation. The Israeli military will shut down the main road and it splits the city of Nablus in half, and so it prevents vehicles from getting from the west side to the east side and and vice versa. So there's many times when they've had to transport injured or uh, sick people in private vehicles, and then the private vehicles just don't get through these blockades that the Israeli military puts up, and so... Many people have died trying to get to a hospital for care. The Sister City Partnership between Boulder and Nablus began in 2016, and BNSCP holds fundraisers every year to aid the Sister City. This year's event will take place Saturday, August 19th, at the First United Methodist Church of Boulder and will include Mediterranean food, crafts, and dance lessons. For KGNU, I'm Yvonne Olivas. Former San Luis Valley District Attorney Robert Willett filed a lawsuit on Tuesday against his successor and the district attorney's office for a wrongful felony charge. KGNU's Jacob Agatston has more. Willett, the former 12th Judicial District Attorney, filed this $5 million lawsuit against his successor, former DA Alonzo Payne, and the DA's office. The suit alleges that Payne and the DA's office wrongfully charged Willett with embezzlement last year when Willett gave himself a Christmas bonus. The charges came just days after Willett called for Payne to resign from his position as the district attorney. Willett said that Payne brought the lawsuit in retaliation for Willett's criticism of Payne. The recent suit also names the former assistant DA, an investigator, and over 10 more employees of the DA's office as defendants in the alleged conspiracy against Willett. Alonzo Payne resigned in July of 2022 after an investigation by the Colorado Attorney General's office found that Payne routinely violated crime victims' rights. Payne was disbarred in September of 2022. For KGNU, I'm Jacob Bagotston. Over $720,000 worth of bikes have been stolen in Boulder so far this year. KGNU's Grace Gabriel has more. The Boulder Police Department is warning locals of a recent spike in bike thefts. In the past 30 days, 45 bikes have been reported stolen. 356 bikes were stolen this year, amounting to a total of $728,000 in value. Only 10 have been recovered so far. For KGNU, I'm Grace Gabriel. Since last November, the Denver Auditor's Office has recovered over $1.4 million in wages that employers stole from workers. Some of that money came from an increase in the minimum wage, which some employers disregarded. 
but in January of this year, Denver City Council passed the Civil Wage Theft Ordinance. The ordinance allowed the auditor's office to go after employees committing wage theft, an illegal practice that can include not paying overtime, promising to pay overdue wages on a future project, and writing paychecks that bounce. According to Nine News, the average amount that auditors recovered for an employee was over $200, though some workers received thousands of dollars. Denver workers who believe they are a victim of wage theft can contact Denver Labor, which is a division of the auditor's office. For the first time, Boulder is holding a street soccer competition. KGNU's Zach Thompson has more. This Sunday, August 13th, teams of five will face off in a day-long street soccer competition. The first-ever Boulder Street Soccer Classic will take place from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. in the heart of downtown Boulder on 13th Street between Arapahoe Avenue and Canyon Boulevard. The teams have been finalized and split into two brackets, one for adults and one for youth. Each team has paid a small registration fee, which will support youth soccer programs in Colorado. Attendance is free to the public. For KGNU, I'm Zach Thompson. Partly sunny but hot today with a 20% chance of showers and thunderstorms in the afternoon. In Boulder, a high near 90 and a low around 61. In Denver, a high near 91 and a low around 62. In Fort Collins, a high near 91 and a low around 58. For KGNU, I'm Benita Lee. You are listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. I'm Jackie Sedley. On Tuesday, the Utah Supreme Court heard arguments about a lawsuit that is currently blocking an abortion ban across the state. Utah's abortion ban went into effect after the U.S. Supreme Court overturned the constitutional right to abortion back in 2022. The ban was immediately blocked in Utah by a lawsuit filed by Planned Parenthood and the ACLU. The ban has been on hold for over a year, and earlier this week, attorneys representing the state of Utah and Planned Parenthood presented arguments about whether that injunction is constitutional. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KZMU's Emily Arnson has more. So I know the question today wasn't so much about whether abortions should be legal. The question is whether the trigger law should be blocked while the lawsuit is still being decided. Is that correct? Right. Whether that injunction essentially should remain that would block the trigger ban. This is Aaron Welcher, communications director of the ACLU of Utah. There's enough irreparable harm was a term that was used often today, but that really that that harm meets the standard of keeping an injunction there while the rest of our case and lawsuit um, works its way through the Utah Supreme Court. And can you explain what that means? Like, what is irreparable harm in this case? Not being able to receive that abortion care and to be forced to carry a pregnancy. I mean, there's economic harms that come from people who are not ready to start a family, along with many other examples that our our legal team presented today. Planned Parenthood, which provides most of Utah's abortions, argues that banning abortions would violate Utah's constitutional right of equal protection for men and women under the law. 
Planned Parenthood attorney Camila Vega argued that denying access to abortion unjustly punishes women for having sex, while no equal punishment exists for men. We're really litigating this as a violation of the Utah state constitution. Essentially, under this equal protection clause, all Utahns have a right to determine when and whether they want to have a family, and really essentially that they have a right over their own bodies and lives. Only certain people can get pregnant, and so if you are forcing a part of the population to carry pregnancies because abortion isn't around, then that really isn't equal protection under, under the law. This is attorney Camila Vega at Tuesday's hearing. The founders of Utah enshrined in their constitution a unique, broad, and affirmative right to equality. And so the question is, what do those principles mean today when women have accessed safe, legal, and routine abortion for up to 15 years after Roe v. Wade? I don't think that we need to pretend that Roe v. Wade didn't happen here. The state's attorney argued that banning abortion across Utah does not rise to a level of seriousness that warrants blocking the trigger law during the lawsuit. Attorney Taylor Meehan said that since abortion was criminalized during the state's founding in 1896, the court has a duty to honor those intentions today. At the time of Utah's founding, they were willing to say abortion is a crime. While the federal constitution and Utah constitution might protect some bodily autonomy, I don't think that that you can apply that here. Because as the state has recognized and other states have recognized since before the founding, abortion is not just one person's right to bodily autonomy. It also implicates the life of an unborn child. Justice Paige Peterson argued that while the court aims to honor the principles in the state's constitution, the court can't represent all of the people of Utah through the constitution alone, especially in the case of abortion, since women were excluded from making decisions about Utah's constitution when the state was founded. If we're just looking at laws and public statements about it, the other half of the population, how do we know what their understanding, what they thought the meaning of their rights were And it seems important in this context because women are the ones that experience pregnancy and experience childbirth. And so I'd like to get a sense of that perspective of history, but I'm not seeing much of it. Your Honor, I I agree. It's a difficult question, and it's one this country faces in, in lots of constitutional analysis. I think women had an unprecedented voice in the ratification of Utah's constitution. Although, although they weren't allowed to vote for it. Very fair, Your Honor, but it would I think I, I wouldn't run in the opposite direction to say that the constitution reflects only the views of men at the time. Planned Parenthood's attorney countered that the state has already set a precedent for breaking with Utah's constitution and that similar flexibility should be adopted for abortion as well. Under the state's argument, the legislature could come tomorrow and ban interracial marriage And were it not for federal precedent, Utah Constitution, according to the state, would think that's okay. It's unclear when the Utah Supreme Court will announce its decision on whether to unblock the trigger law. If the court decides to end the injunction, abortions will become illegal immediately, and healthcare providers who perform abortions could be charged with a second-degree felony. For KZMU in Moab, Utah, I'm Emily Ernson. Water issues in the arid west are complex. The laws that govern our region's rivers and reservoirs are tough to wrap your mind around. But art can provide an entry point and create an emotional connection that helps people understand what's at stake.
For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Aspen Public Radio's Kaya Williams reports on one painter fostering that connection along the Colorado River. Trust your hand. See if you can make some marks. With his eyes squinted, hand out to the horizon, artist Patrick Keycut is showing about a dozen people with sketchbooks that make those little trees in the distance look just the right size on paper compared to the reservoir before us. We're surrounded by forest greens and rusty rocky reds in a high mountain valley near Aspen. And Keycut, who spends a lot of time deep in river canyons, is savoring the moment under his straw hat. I kind of come alive with more space. It kind of allows me to catch my breath and breathe and kind of soar a little bit. Keycut has been painting and drawing the landscapes of the West for decades. He traveled the region with his family as a kid, had a creative aha moment in college, and found inspiration in Thomas Moran, a 19th century artist whose paintings of Yellowstone motivated people to create America's first national park. Art definitely has an important role in engaging a wider public. I always have that in the back of my mind. What is it that's important and what am I doing as an artist to point to things that I feel deserve some attention? Keycut spent most of his career painting lonely highways and arid deserts, treating those wide, empty spaces with the same reverence Moran gave to Yellowstone. Then, a few years ago, he joined a team of researchers and other artists on a trip down the green and Colorado rivers. It's like, oh, this is the original highway. The original highway is the river. So that was... A hook for me. It followed the same route that John Wesley Powell took in 1869. But this group's trip, 150 years later, was shaped by major infrastructure like dams and reservoirs, and by increasingly fraught conversations about the difference between water supply and demand in the basin. I've been documenting this drought that's over 20 years for well, for since it started. It's important for me to show the realities of the West. Keycut documented the trip in drawings from the field, which he turned into larger-scale paintings later on. But 2019 was a good water year. He returned last year as reservoirs reached record lows, and some of his pieces are now on display at a library in the Roaring Fork Valley, near a major tributary to the Colorado River. His paintings are high up on the walls, so you have to crane your neck to see them, almost like you're in the bottom of a canyon yourself. Dams, reservoirs, and rivers come in shades of warm brown and pale blue. You can almost feel how dry it was just by looking. Christina Medved runs community outreach for the Roaring Fork Conservancy, a nonprofit that organized the workshop and worked with the Basalt Regional Library on this show. We still need to be capturing these places both for historical reasons, but also because of what they can do with drawing out the emotions and the beauty. Medved hopes it'll help people connect with water issues that can sometimes be hard to understand. And so does Keycut. He says making art about the river helped him develop a sense of place and grasp what that place means in a larger context. The persistence of water, I think, is is an amazing thing that allows me to think of this planet on a deeper and kind of broader scale than I have before. So now, after an extra snowy winter and rainy spring brought lots of water to the Colorado River Basin, Keycut is again thinking about how it's changing and using his pencil and brush to depict the high water marks too. I'm Kaya Williams.
This story is part of ongoing coverage of the Colorado River, produced by Aspen Public Radio, distributed by KUNC, and supported by the Walton Family Foundation. That story was shared with us via Rocky Mountain Community Radio, a network of public media stations in Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, and New Mexico that includes KGNU. Time now for .org, spotlighting the work of local nonprofits and co-ops. Hey, this is Chris Schultz from KGNews.org, and I'm here with Vic Vela from Longmont Latinx Voices. Uh, Vic, you want to tell us a little bit about your organization and what you guys do? Sure. We're a, uh, we're a, a nonprofit organization. We're a 5013C. Our main purpose, mission, whatever you want to say, is to help our Latinx underprivileged and at risk youth to be able to participate in whatever activities they so desire. For example, uh, if they want to play football, it costs a lot of money. So a lot of these kids that uh, their parents don't have a lot of money, they can't afford to play. We would like to see them out of the parks, off the streets, not doing drugs, not getting uh, drinking beer or joining gangs. We look, we're trying to get them to you know do some activities that they that they like to do. Last year we had our first dance fundraiser to pass out scholarship, which we did May of this year. We passed out seven scholarships at a thousand dollars each. We're going to do that every year, so that's one of our other goals or purposes that we're doing. So it turned out real well. That's our main. Uh, our main purpose is, is just working with you. We are not a uh, political uh, organization or anything like that. We're just mainly dealing with our youth kids uh, to help them. Like I say, I saw on the on your Facebook page the scholarships. I didn't see the the youth organization stuff. You were talking about a little bit about football and the other things you guys do. You want to talk a little bit about where the money you raise goes? Sure. For example, some of that money is going for these kids to be able to pay to soccer uh you know help them with to enter tournaments uh or uh to buy uniforms that they need entry fees registration fees to, to get in some of these activities which i believe now is four hundred dollars to join and then on top of that they gotta get their own equipment or they could rent it which still costs a lot of money so that's one reason why a lot of our latinx kids can't play because you know they just can't afford it so we're trying to offset that or Somebody wants to do, you know, uh, music, you know, we'll try and offset that cost. If they want to go on a field trip, you know, and it costs some money, then, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll do what we can to help them get on those field trips. And you guys are focused in the Longmont area, St. Brain School District. Is that right? The scholarships are the St. Brain and then our uh, youth sports and all that is just with Longmont. And so you guys have a fundraiser coming up on the 19th? Yes, we do. We got a dance. Uh, we got a great uh, band from New Mexico, won silver awards. They're coming down to perform for us uh, at the Moose Lodge on the 19th of August, starting at 7.30 to 11.30. Doors open at 6.30. And all the proceeds from that dance and all the proceeds from any fundraiser we have goes towards uh, whatever these kids need. And how do kids find out about the grants that you have? How do they get involved in that program? Right. What we do is, first of all, we contact all of these different uh, youth organizations. We're talking after school or during the summer. 
And uh, what we'll do we'll, prior to the summer breaks, we'll be passing out flyers, letting them know who we are. Uh, we will also be putting it on Facebook, you know, social media. And a lot of it's going to be word to mouth as, you know, as well. So we're going to do whatever we can to get the word out as, as much as we can. And how do people who want to support you guys and the, the kids, how do they get involved besides going to your fundraisers? Yeah, they can donate. They can make a donation. And they can just go to our to our Facebook website. If they have any uh, questions on that, uh, they can contact our treasurer, who is Ray Rodriguez. Uh, he handles all our financial, him and our assistant treasurer. Uh, so uh, they can, and his, his contact is on there as well. If you like, I can give you his race phone number. If you're okay saying it on the air, then I'm okay leaving it in. Yeah, yeah that's fine. Uh, Ray Rodriguez, his contact number is 720-280-3949. You've been listening to KGNews.org. For more information on this organization or to listen to other episodes, please go to news.kgnu.org. That's all for today's Morning Magazine. I've been your host, Jackie Sedley. Thanks to Alexis Kenyon, Emily Sosilo, Grace Gabriel, Zach Thompson, Jimmy Searfoss, Jacob Agatston, Chris Schultz, Benita Lee, and poor Jajan Kit for their work on today's show. And speaking of poor, it's our wonderful engagement intern's last day here at KGNU. Poor, we appreciate your dedication, your humor, and the overall positive attitude you bring into the station every day. You will be missed, but by no means forgotten. Don't be a stranger. Okay, stay tuned for Connections, coming up after these news headlines from the BBC.